0: Hello and welcome to our third Catching Up With, where we'll be chatting to the people who played a part in Watford's history, whether on or off the pitch. My name's John and with me is Lana Burney. Hello, John. And in this podcast, we're catching up with former Watford manager, A.D. Boothroyd. Now, you spoke to a fair few managers. In fact, you spent a long time speaking to one manager in particular, didn't you, Lionel? Uh, uh, Graeme Taylor. How are managers different from chatting to players, do you think?
1: They have the sort of ultimate version of events because they're the ones making the decision. So when a player complains that oh, I got left out of this game because of blah, 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 well, the manager knows why, deep down, why that decision was made. And on the flip side of that, they, they carry the can when the results go badly they're responsible and they pay for it often with their jobs so no manager sets out to be a failure do they but most football managers fail I mean that's the the statistics bear that out Aidy Boothroyd had some tremendous highs for for a year and a half really he could do no wrong and then we could debate did the Premier League catch him out then how did it unravel as spectacularly as it did. I mean, I say spectacularly. It was more of a slow motion unravel, wasn't it? <laughs> you know, you could see what was happening. It carried on happening, and he seemed at a loss to stop it happening. Yeah. And in the end, when they sacked him, it was it was uh, probably slightly overdue.
0: Especially off that Hull game. I mean, that was the point where, like, in every other club, in every other situation, and every other manager, that definitely that last playoff loss, and especially the run that had led up to it. Yes, we're in the playoffs, but what happened before it? would have guaranteed uh, a change of manager over the summer, but it didn't.
1: No. What was so extraordinary about that was that he stuck to his principles on this, this increasingly turgid style of play and then suddenly thought, once we went in the playoffs against Hull, well, you know what? We'll just go for it now. I mean, <laughs> that, that was pretty unfair on the players, I felt at the time. It obviously didn't work. Hull were a decent side. I think that gets overlooked. What Boothroyd achieved in the first full season when he had won promotion with a team that was not it was not attractive to watch it was real basic football it was you know people talk about Graham Taylor's football being almost football by numbers and you could make that case one way or the other Boothroyd boiled that down until it was a you know a a thick paste, really, <laughs> uh, but it was successful. It won. He won football matches, and and I think when he got into the Premier League, I think he thought he was going to carry on, and that, that his that he was uh, he was starting to believe perhaps some of the some of the self generated hype. Um, but I also do have sympathy because he was trying. He's the closest, really, anyone has come to kind of living up to. The Graham Taylor era to take Watford from where they were, and you know we can talk about the 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 unceremonious way that Ray Lewington was eased out, and but remember that day when he was unveiled as the manager, A. D. Booth. Well, who, what he's been he's been running the community, you know, football in the community thing at at Norwich or Leeds or whatever it was he had been doing. What is going on? Survived by the skin of their teeth, and then to fashion a team and take them to promotion I I always remember something Gavin Mahn told me when they reported back for pre-season before that promotion season Boothroyd had set out all the chairs in the meeting room basically like bus seats so two this side with an aisle down the middle and two on the other side and there was one seat at the front for the driver and the players all came into the room and were like what's going on here Boothroyd sat down in the seat at the front as a driver and said okay lads I'm driving this bus to the Premier League. Who wants to get on? <laughs> really? And the players, you know, reluctantly, I think, sort of eventually kind of sat down and thought, this guy's a bit crazy. We've only just stayed up. And then they won promotion. And I think that that says something about Boothwood's absolute drive and determination. And I think that the fact that he couldn't then re- reproduce that or continue that, rather, in the Premier League, where the level was so much higher, I, I suspect is still coming to terms with that in some way?
0: Well, I went to St George's Park, home of English football, uh, where he is currently working as the coach of the England under-21s. I had about half an hour with him uh, in one of the offices to find out about his time at Watford and and, and just those those events that Lionel's talked about, how he feels about them now, looking back almost 10 years uh, since he left the club. Aidy, we're here at St George's Park. Um, it's, a, it's quite quiet today Does it, is, it, is, that, is that normal for you is it normal for this place
2: well I'm not quiet no I don't think I've ever been quiet <laughs> it is towards the end of the week I think a lot of the uh, uh, the staff come in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday Thursday and generally um, work from home on a Friday but um, in our job it's slightly different because we're at clubs a lot so part of the time is spent here Part of our time is spent watching games and part of our time is is doing club visits, checking on the players, speaking to coaches, managers, just to see how everybody's doing.
0: Travel quite a lot then?
2: Yeah, quite a bit. I was at uh, the game on Sunday, uh, Saturday, sorry. I've lost track of the days uh, against Burnley, mainly because I wanted to have a a little look at Sean's team and see how how, how Will was doing. Uh, So yeah, I, I get around quite a bit, see loads of different games. I was at Champions League, Liverpool, Man City, seen both legs of that. So I'm very fortunate that I get to see the players play at all different levels. Champions League down to League One. I went to the Tra- uh, Checker Trade Trophy to watch um, young Dean Anderson play for Shrewsbury. So really, I uh, I get the miles in and, and go and see as many players as I can.
0: Seemed like a bit of ex Watford managers reunion on Saturday because you were there and uh, Dice was there in the uh, Sean was there in the in the in the dugout and Malky was there as well. Right, yeah. yeah, would you you know we're I think we were, we were on a, at this point after the after Burnley game. We were in a bit of a happier place than where we were. What did you sort of make of Watford?
2: Well, it's it's a very different club. I, I took my wife with me, so she's not been back since uh, since I left, and it is a very different club to the one that the, the one that I left. But you can still you can still sense the uh, the family atmosphere around the stands, the way that the, the supporters are. Never get too angry when you're not doing well, and, and never get too excited when you're doing great. So um, it, it it was terrific. Really good to go back. I I really enjoyed it, and you know, the the important thing is it gives you. I had so many happy memories there. uh, The fact that Malky was there with his son, I saw Sean, um, we had Mark Warburton come through that, that group, so a lot of the staff went on to bigger and better things. Um, and, and and for me, that's pretty much part of what my job was there, and still is here now. Really, is that it's not just the players that need to develop; it's the staff as well. And it was an environment where everybody could uh, have a say, and, and everybody could grow. And and I think that was one of the key reasons that that uh, made us successful.
0: Yeah. can I take you back to like the, the beginning almost? Yeah. Because the we remember as Watford fans, yeah, you were an assistant manager at Leeds. We just lost. Ray Lewington who was such a father figure the team was probably in a terrible place they're taking a pay cut you know being close to um administration the, the sort of the thing around it so how does a uh, a young man as you were then um go into a changing room and say we're going to go to the Premier League and get them all on side as quick as really as quickly as it seemed that you did
2: well I think uh, first of all if if I said to you that I was uh Uh, there was a little bit of bravado there there's there's no doubt about that because I I wanted I believed I could manage a football club and I wanted to to push myself and to be able to do it I'd I'd been for lots of interviews at lots of different clubs Um, Wickham um, Oxford I didn't even get an interview for whilst I was at Leeds Um, and uh, to get the opportunity that that I did, I think speaks uh, volumes for the the chairman at the time, Graham Simpson and Mark Ashton, that gave me the opportunity to do that, and and the Russo brothers. So, first of all, I was lucky, and you always need a bit of luck um, to be a manager and to get results and and to do well, and I certainly had a lot of that along the way. Um, But in terms of the dressing room, um, I realised very quickly, ironically, Sean Dyche... Um, who was a fantastic leader, but his, his legs didn't match his his leadership qualities anymore, unfortunately. Um, and it's strange how he he left. I released him, and then he came back in, uh, talked his way back into the club as a as a youth team coach, and obviously has done brilliant since and, and did do then. Um, but to go in there, uh, we had to survive first and foremost to stay in the league, uh, and then it was about making sure that um, uh, that I had a great. Opportunity, good timing, really, because I had the the ability to have, have an observational period where we managed to stay up, um, but also have a little look around at what I wanted to keep, um, what I didn't want to keep, and what needed to be um, t- to be adjusted, really, and 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 what needed to be enhanced and, uh, and and grown a bit. So, I think that three months, that period, gave me a great opportunity to have a really good look at it.
0: Because we, I sort of see that side, the one that got promoted. Um, very much as your side. You know, there was three bits to it. There, there was the, the Watford youth boys. So there was Lloyd and there was, um, yeah, and Young especially. Uh, and then there were the, um, so the guys who'd been there previously. So Jay, Demerit and also Gavin Mann. And then there were almost, maybe I no, you know you didn't necessarily bring in Marlon King, but him and Henderson were almost like the making of that team in terms of up front and making it so successful. And you sort of brought all those three things uh, together. Um, particularly with I mean Marlon's always been this character for us who you know we absolutely adored because he scored lots of goals and ever since he's sort of been that character we've sort of not, not want to distance ourselves from but he, he's had all, all that before was that a, a big part of the fact that you were so young and bringing through and developing a team was almost like a chance for someone like him and even the young Watford players and, and a person like Jay Demerit that they, it was almost like they were coming with you and that was a, that was the feeling that that club had, the team had.
2: Yeah, it did. I mean, we had uh, we had good characters, and I, I think I think you're right. I think we all grew together uh, as a group. But I think you know there the, the were the fact that we'd all been given an opportunity. So in, in Ashley's case, it, it'd been signed. Ray signed him and gave him an opportunity. But before that, as a 16 year old, he was touch and go. Lloyd Doyle, you know, he's he's, he, he's Marmite for some supporters. I absolutely loved him um, because of what he could do. I never looked at what he couldn't do. I always looked at what he could do. And he's been what was a brilliant servant and and scored his one goal, I think, which is even better. Never thought he'd do that. Um, and then bringing the likes of, uh, you know, I mean, Jay J- Demerrit is, is another one uh, of who got an opportunity. You know, he's the, the Rocky Balboa of English football then. Um, a guy that had just sort of backpacked around what a great story he's got uh backpacked around managed to get himself a a trial got himself an opportunity um and I can remember saying to 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 Jay I'd like you to talk more I'd like you to be more of a leader and influential and he said to me boss I I don't really know the game so I best keep quiet and just do my own thing and that's that that was him but he had Malky alongside him that you know couldn't run um but he get everybody else to do his running and organise other people. A real leader, uh, and obviously Ben Foster, another one, he's similar. Who he was needed an opportunity. He was a chef at 15, and and at 21 years old, he's playing in the championship, then the Premier League, then gets a, you know got a move to Man United. So we had all those guys growing, and and I think Gavin got his second wind really as a as a player. I think he he certainly he certainly grew as a captain, and if you think about him down the spine of the team. Um, obviously, starting with Alex Chamberlain, uh, then Ben, uh, who Alex mentored through through his period at Watford, Malky Mackay with a young one alongside him, um, Gavin Marm with a young one alongside him, in Matthew Spring that was our goal scoring midfield player. And then you look at the top of the pitch, um, Marlon, who was probably a, a really good time in his career, in that he, he was Watford was last chance saloon for him really, because he'd he had he'd had his troubles. Um, he'd managed to 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 come out of them. But I think I think we responded well together, me and him, because I, I didn't take any prisoners. And, and I, I was very clear about what I wanted him to do and what I expected of him and what I didn't expect of him. But he was absolutely brilliant for me. So, um, you know, you said about distancing, distancing, distancing yourself from, from people and players. I, I could never do that because loyalty for me was like a, a two-way street. And I know he messed up on a couple of occasions, but I have to say um, he, he was absolutely brilliant for us, absolutely brilliant. and the fact that he got his 23 goals and then moved on to, to you know obviously bigger uh, bigger clubs and had a, a a good career and then I took him again at, at Coventry um, you know he, he was a, he was a terrific player, and sometimes I think uh, it, it, you need somebody um, with you that can that can push you. Uh, and I felt I was I was forever on top of him um but he rewarded all of us with 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 what he did and then Darius who, who was a brawler who was the only player I've ever had that said he wanted to be a cage fighter when he finished playing <laughs> which which <laughs> doesn't surprise me at all now but you know again a great lad um who had not fulfilled his potential and went on to have a really good career and then you look at the wide areas of the pitch Paul Paul Devlin uh, Chris Eagles after uh, Ashley Young, uh, you know, and we couldn't leave Ashley out, even though he wasn't playing particularly well, because we didn't have anybody else. And that that taught me a lesson, a lesson about players and about giving people an opportunity and sticking with them, even though they're having a bad spell. They're just just going to going on to bigger and better things. Um, but I think overall, the key thing is development. Is that I was developing. I insisted that the staff developed, and we pushed them. And the same with the players. It wasn't a case of just coming in and walking out with your toilet bag at the end of training everybody was expected to be better and to and to tell other people what was required and I think because we had that we we, we went and we obviously got promoted but we beat much better uh, we, we were a better team than most of the teams in that league they I would say the majority had better players than we did
0: and you know that that you know, we had no expectations whatsoever I don't think of their dreams not say expectations of staying in the Premier League. You know, looking looking back now on it, what what were your realistic expectations of that Premier League season when you were once after got promoted?
2: Well, I think I was again. I was quite brash and and said, you know, seventeenth uh, isn't good enough. Um, a little bit older and wiser, seventeenth uh, would have been absolutely fine. <laughs> um, but we, I think, I think what I tried to do was try to improve so many different bits of the club, so the academy the the infrastructure of what we did you know with the chairman and, and mark um tried to improve the training ground, trying to improve sports science tried to you know we tried every little we tried the one yeah. percent when really we should have been looking at twenty and thirty percent by buying better players um or or, or putting more money into in, into probably three or four players um but,
0: but wasn't that a, a prop, wouldn't that be a, almost a hindrance at that point because a you know w- why are Watford being so successful going up now because of the Potso network yeah. being able to pull on yeah. the resources they 've got um, we were little old Watford at that point still um to the the outside world. did you not feel that actually and then especially with marlon's injury that actually you couldn't create the team that you wanted without spending a ridiculous amount of money which would have absolutely crippled the club um, almost instantly if if it had gone wrong.
2: Yeah, I mean, when when I look back on it, it was difficult to attract players. You know, it was like, well, see see where you are at Christmas, and it was like, well, I'd I'd rather join us now, to be honest. But we couldn't pay them enough to, to you know, we we we'd gone from a, um, a four point eight million turnover to a, a fifty million pound turn, turnover, and it's a huge difference. Uh, and and what happens when you get that sort of money is you think oh it'll, it'll be fine, but actually you just get different problems. Um, we ended up getting a lot of similar players rather than focusing on getting those like like you say. I mean you're not going to find another 23 goal centre forward. Um, and I'm convinced if you would have stayed with us uh, and been able to be uh, to, to keep fit, then we would have had a much better chance than what we did. You know we finished on 31 points. Um, which which was wasn't enough, but we got the points we got on pure grit and determination. And you know, when you keep getting knocked back and, and getting beat, uh, it takes a bit out of you as as a group. But but we persevered and and, and and persisted and kept going. But in the end, we just you know we just didn't have enough. And what happens then when you're successful is everybody sort of vulture vultures look at your players, your best players, and off they go. So Ashley goes off to Villa for 15 million. Marlon and Hamillie for you know, about four million quid each, um, and then, then it's like, okay, what am I going to get into uh, to improve that? And and uh, you've got to be, you've either got to have an a, a awful lot of money to replace, or you've got to be really cute in what you did. And probably looking back, my our recruitment wasn't as good as what it could have been.
0: The, the two sort of players, you know, that recruitment wise, one is Nathan Ellington, yeah. um, because. Everyone still gets you know bogged down with the price tag, but that's even now. Like we we spent 18 million on Andre Gray this year, and you go, it's it's not it's not 18 million. It's football 18 million, and that's (laughs) that's really different. And even then, I think that you know the money we had to pay West Bromwich for it. Did you sort of see him though? I sort of saw him as I you know I had friends who were were Baggies fans, and they were not massive fans of his. But almost he had done something good. Did you feel like you could get more from him? Yeah.
2: Uh, that that's it in a nutshell is that I thought I could I, I looked at what we had around us I looked at the environment and I thought this kid needs needs that again so at wigan he was at bristol rovers as a young player he was phenomenal great sc- goal scoring record went to wigan um uh played up played up front and, and was outstanding um really good uh, connector of, of of the midfield to the front um, and and the and the back to the midfield as well he would he would be a a really good link for for us that was what was in my mind went to bristol i uh, went to um West Brom sorry for a big prize tag didn't do it um but I felt that I could get him going again um so that was the the, the point looking at what he could do where where he'd been um but it didn't work out and sometimes it doesn't work out uh, it, completely different to to marlon uh, nathan shy uh you know, didn't say an awful lot, um, not as confident as you would expect him to be for, for what he was. Um, but when you're searching around at what you can get, you, do you go into Europe and get somebody that you don't know, that has got the family's got to settle, you know, the wife's got to settle and everything else? Or do you go with somebody that has been tried and tust, uh, trusted and you think, I can, I can get him going again? In the end, I, I couldn't and he couldn't get himself going again. Uh, but at that time, 3.2 million—it was a—it um, was a lot of money in the record transfer. So I'm—I'm I'm glad that uh, Andre Gray's gone and <laughs> and a few others. And I'm sure that they'll come good. Um, but but for us, he had to hit the ground running. He didn't get any. Uh, Nathan didn't get any opportunities. He was in there. He was a record signing, and he had to score, and he didn't. Unfortunately. Um,
0: did you ever think this is, we, we've got a WhatsApp group for the boys who do our podcast? And then one of them said, "I wonder what." would would you do you think Nathan would have done really better would have done better if he, you'd signed him when it during that promotion season
2: uh yeah i think he would um we had momentum then and, and the championship's completely different to the premier league as you well know you know you've, you've experienced it now uh, as as a club again um but I, I think you 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 have to you have to make decisions um i made a decision i thought it was a good one uh, and he didn't score as many goals as, as what I would have hoped him to, but that's that's what it is. That's that's football, isn't it? Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And because of the, the added pressure and moving clubs and the expectation, uh, in the end, you know, it, it, it didn't work out. Having said that, um, would he have been a bigger success if we'd have kept Ashley Young and we'd have got Adam Johnson uh, earlier? I'm sure he would, because you couldn't not score goals with those two.
0: It was that thing that you know, after going down, that if you look at the, I went onto Wikipedia, sort of just looking at the the list and they colour it the results. It's green if it's win, red if it's, it's a loss, and a yellow. Mm. And that season is literally blocks that, uh,
2: yeah.
0: You know, it's like green, yeah. then a bit of a mixture, then draw, then red. Yeah. Um, it was such a contrast that season from yeah. beginning to end. Was that a big surprise? Did that come out of nowhere?
2: No, I think again, older and wiser, ten years on, you look back at it and you think, well. A great start. I knew at some point there was going to be a lull. Um, I think everybody points to the game against West Brom where we got a real good idea and a 3 0, but it was, you know, they were miles better than us on the day. Um, that gave them momentum. You know, Tony Stoke were 1 all, 1 0, 1 0, 1 0. They just gradually got their self up the table and he did it with a lot of different loan players. We had the core. I felt that we were a strong enough team to do well. You know, we had Danny Shitu. We got Lee Bromby in. Um, the goalkeeper changed, of course, because Ben went um, uh, went back to United. Uh, but we, we'd lost uh, Marlon. He'd gone. Uh, Adam was a big part of of that good start, I have to say, because he was a very talented player. Um, but then, over over a period of time, I think also. I tried to change the style. I got uh, I got bogged down with listening to too many people about oh the you know they're an ugly team they're this that that the other a bit like Sean Dyche at Burnley and when you look at at Burnley, uh, well certainly now they're not a long ball team. They can play in in, in different uh, different ways. I mean Watford found that out sadly, uh, and and that is I think the art of a good coach. But. When you're trying to please all the people and you want to be the uh, the, the blue-eyed coach, the uh, boy that, uh, that that plays and pleases everybody, you know, it ain't going to work. So stick to your guns. I didn't do that. I think we're in a period of change. We had a team that couldn't play the way that I wanted them to play towards the end, and and in the end, it, it, even though I do think um, there, there was a little bit of luck involved and needed, I think in that first playoff game against Hull when um Danny Shitu scored from the corner and Kevin Friend for some reason didn't uh, said it wasn't a goal. Still don't know why. Uh you know, if that goes in, it's a different game. Cause we were we were then in the ascendancy. We surprised them with how we played. Uh and then and, and even going up to Hull, we were two 0 down, but we scored first. Um Richard uh, made a mistake um for the just before half time, we're going one all and then we've got a chase then. And then what happens is it becomes a basketball match. And they were better at putting the ball in the hoop than what we were. That's for sure that that, that night. So you, you go from having nothing, overachieving, living the dream for a, for a season. Um, and, and I have to say, I, when I look back now, how much I learned in that year about me as a person and about me as a coach, massive. Um, sim- similar to the last few years I've had here, really, in uh, working for England, in terms of your own personal growth and uh, your own professional growth, huge. Um, to then going from being the the hunt the hunter to be the hunted, which always gets talked about this time of year, um, and we didn't have the experience uh, uh, within the camp uh, uh, in terms of the players to be able to to do it again when we were one of the favourites to go up. Uh, and then the the night at Hull City, driving home in on the bus from that game was like, right, well, wh- where do we go now? We've got to really start and rebuild, uh, rebuild again. So it was a it was a meteoric rise, a quick fall, and then it was about trying to get back up again. Yeah, because we
0: we sort of look at it again. The turning point for me. You mentioned that three nil at home to West Brom. That sort of game does, does stick out in that season. Uh, also, three nil away win at Coventry sticks out of my, my head as well, um, which was you know that was the, the high point at the beginning of the season. And Gavin Mann left at, at Christmas, Yeah. and that was almost like um, you know the, the, the things that, about there saying he sort of you sort of said that you were at that point things were okay, and you were going you were already thinking about the next year and, and the Premier League possibly again. Um, that really changed and the contrast at the end of the season my friend Mike did the podcast with he didn't go to the playoff um, uh, home leg because he'd just gone from you know just wasn't in the pits of it all but you also you know that's, that's for us as, as fans but you seem to have got you really got it in the you know a, 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 a quick and really aggressive turn of a tide um, from the press particularly yeah. the local press really sort of went from one way to another quite quickly yeah. that must have been that that must have been a huge learning experience
2: yeah yeah it, it was um, we, it, even more so now the media is so influential uh, and I went from a stage of reading everything because it was nice uh, and oh look at this on, look at this Emma look what they're writing about me now I'm gonna be the next England manager and oh, that's nice isn't it um, to when it turned and I see it now I see it now in some younger managers as well that that they'll take the positives but they won't accept the negatives it's like well it's not my fault it's somebody else's fault and I got a little bit like that for sure and I started to think more about what the Watford observer were thinking and how they can affect the fans and and, and it became a bit of a spin culture really when really we should have just all been honest and gone right okay things aren't going great but here's what we need to do um, and get back to basics what got us promoted in the first place so so that's that is obviously you know you can't regret anything but it's certainly a massive learning for me um and, and when I see the way that Gareth deals with the media it, he is a whole new level and I've said to him I wish I could be more like you I wish I could do that uh, and probably I can do now a bit better than what I did but at the time I think there was a turn um and I didn't deal with it very well
0: you got so much, so you got so much so quickly. Let's say success, and then the the reverse. Um, you're, you know, you've talked a lot about like you know it's ten years almost since you since you were at the club. over ten ten years since you were at the club. Um, what is it the main thing you sort of you take from from that time at Watford that you sort of look back on fondly, but also look back on um, that were important for you and forming where you are now, which is the manager of the England Under Twenty One, which is you know a big role.
2: Yeah, it is. It's a massive role. I'm, I'm very honoured to to be doing it. And and it's ironic that I start we, when when we started, we we were working at developing individuals and developing as a team. And that's what this is really. This job is developing a team to win, but developing individuals to go and play for the national team, for the seniors. And I, you know, it's a great role for me because that's what I'm all about. That's that's what my you know, my biggest strength is. If you know, if, if anything would be that. Um, so when I look back at Watford, I think about the relationships and the trust. That people had in me, um, you know to, to be given an opportunity first and foremost by Graham Simpson and the, the board that uh, at, at that particular time, uh, and the chief exec so i 'm always very grateful for that um that didn 't end particularly well, but it started brilliantly um and and the team the team grew um and started to believe, and we were going to win games we were going to get promoted, nothing was going to stop us, and I got to a point where I realized that. Unless we have serious injuries, then we're going to do this because everybody was looking over the shoulder at us, thinking, "What? Well, when are they going to blow up?" And we never did. We just kept going, and the way that we finished the the playoff final, we, we, I mean, it was you know it was a boxing match. It would have been stopped. It was just so one sided, and you just don't get that. Um, really, you just don't get it. And then I've been on the other side of it as well, uh, as, as a manager. But but that particular time, I thought we were we were an unstoppable force we had so much momentum everybody knew everybody else's strengths we knew what we were and then I think we had complete clarity on what we were and what we were doing the next year was a wake-up call and the year after that I think I tried to change things too quickly Um, I think trying to although John Eustace and Gavin Malm were very similar players they were similar players I think Damian Francis and Matthew Spring there wasn't a lot between us but I spent 8 million quid on one uh, sorry, not eight million quid. Um, I can't remember what I spelled. a one point five for Damien. That's right. Um, and uh, Matthew Spring probably could have done the same job. But you, you, I got obsessed with trying to make us better quicker. When really, I, I should have taken a little bit more time, and now I would have a better idea. But then it was like, whew, like a mechanical set. Well, that's not working, so I need to put this, one of these new this new part on. Um, but that, but that comes from experience. That comes from time and. You know, it's ironic that um, my, my time at Watford has really defined a, a lot of of what I do and and who I am. But it's also taught me a lot of a lot of lessons, a lot of life lessons. Um, I'm when I look back now, I think I'm so much better as a, as a coach than I've than I've ever been. But at that particular time, um, because it was new and fresh, and who's this new block? Uh, I started to believe my own press a little bit. So I'm a lot more rounded now than still aggressive and still want to uh, be very successful, but a lot more rounded and a lot more sensible and a lot better manager um, and coach than I ever have been, really.
0: Um you're you know, seeing the role of England under-21, the development aspect that is you know, so big for you. Do you ever see yourself going back into club football?
2: Uh, yes, I do. Um, and every time I say that, my wife winces. <laughs> Um, because it's it, it's one of those things that I think managers we've, we've all got a, a, a screw loose somewhere that we want to get back into a, where we're going to be vilified we're going to be a king or we're going to be a clown and we want to chase that dream of being successful and the, and, and the buzz that you get from building a team that, that goes on to win and be and be successful is, is huge but then the downsides of it are horrendous very very lonely at times um but I have to say, uh coming and working for England has, has has reinvigorated me as a as a person, as a coach. Um I got my enthusiasm back, got my fire back. Um and I, I love what I do. And I'm not in any rush at all to, to leave this place. I think it's a, a great place for me to be. Um I think I add something to it, the fact that, you know, I've been beaten up a little bit by the game. Um and I, I think there's a bit of real life attached to what we do now here. Uh, and and get, I get to work with the national team manager, you know, share an office with him. Uh, I'm in a really good place, so I'm not in a rush to go back in, but I'm sure at some point um, my time will be up here and it'll be time to, to look at, uh, at, at getting another Watford promoted.
0: So, John, what did you make of AD Boothroyd 10 years on? Uh, he was in a happy place. You can hear that across. The, the, the interview and you can hear it by how he talked about Watford I think since he has been at Watford you know he went to Northampton and Coventry and, and Colchester where he didn't have his shining moment let's say like he did uh, another Watford which a is, spec is, is, is what he was sort of trying to find he'd shine at Watford the bad the failure if you want to call it at Watford certainly would have given him a different sort of drive and it didn't really come with him and I think now where he is with England under 21s where he is Probably more in his happy place, where he is that that motivator of a of a developing side and young people and young players, where he sort of he you know, talked about where he, that makes him happier uh, uh, professionally. But the bit that sort of right at the end you heard there, the bit where he yeah he would would want to go back into clubs and uh, yeah he he does want to do another Watford that that is still there. But that sort of looking back on how he did it in the past. Um, I don't think he'd quite do it, uh, fake bus or not, uh, if he went to uh, to another club. So I definitely came back like almost forgetting, you know, sometimes you can, when a manager leaves, you, you get caught up with the end and what happened. Like when we look back at Slav, it's absolutely 100% lovely and rosy and we love him because he left when we were just promoted. And I don't think I'm quite ready to look back on that and figure out exactly truly look at where he was and and most managers though, leave on on a, on a negative and he did leave on a massive massive negative because as we said before the unravelling just took a, a long long time it was a big you know ball of wool uh, to unravel so it was it was lovely um sort of seeing him uh, bright and and happy and uh thriving professionally uh but also yeah what, what's he going to do next
1: I think that's a very good point about managers. Nine out of ten of them leave on a bum note, don't they? And the ones that don't are almost... uh, It's almost like they've been frozen in time. And particularly, uh, Djokanovic has gone to Fulham and been successful there. So the logical extension of that is, oh, he could have been the man to... you know We we wouldn't have had to have Marco Silva if if he'd stuck around. Um, But uh, that's the thing, isn't it? most managers end up uh getting the sack and then it's about rehabilitating their their careers almost and rebuilding their confidence and i mean just imagine how much of a dent Boothroyd's ego and i don't use that as a pejorative term he he clearly has an ego all people in sport and and many people in life do um but there was a period wasn't there when Certainly the early days in the Premier League, I can just picture him on the touchline, he had the earpiece and microphone and there was a sense that he was, he was fresh, cutting edge, he was doing things that other people weren't doing. Now I don't know whether that's necessarily true or not because he very quickly began to look like the last of the old school managers particularly with the style of play and, and the, the inability to really break out of the, the trap of, well, sign some more players, sign some expensive players and oh, that's not worked. You know, Ellington, for example, you know, sign some more players. I remember that transfer window, the season trying to get back up and goodness, the names still bring me out in shivers. <laughs> Bromby and Matt Sadler and Caber and and uh, Williamson, who was decent Williamson and Hoskins, who who wasn't. And <laughs> um, just, oh my word, it was like sort of throwing jelly at a wall and seeing what, what would work. Work. all managers have you know they have that in them even successful managers have uh, have have periods where um, you know they're running out of ideas
0: it would be interesting to see what he's like as a club manager um, again in the future after uh, what he's done and in many ways you look at him you think if you if the we were going to hire an english manager a manager who works closely with the young players the cheap uh, young players uh, has a vast and wide knowledge of the young players I'm only joking
1: I need to stop you there John. I need to stop you there
0: <laughs> thank you again for listening uh, and, and subscribing to uh, these podcasts and from the Rooker uh, do tell your friends and if there is anybody you'd like us to catch up with uh, in future uh, podcasts don't think of the obvious is there one just isn't coming to our mind but it's always on your mind uh, then do email us podcast at com. Thank you Lionel Thank you John Uh, Thank you for listening